for our listeners, we should one hundred percent leave all of this in. Yeah, <laughs> for our, our listeners, Richard is gesticulating and frowning from the corner of the room. Yeah, <laughs> Richard, it's technology and, and culture. It's yeah. far. I was expecting worse. Okay, I was <laughs> expecting like bitmojis and memes. Virtual influencers. Yeah, virtual influencers. All of Don't which are fantastic. We did a whole episode on it. We don't need another section on it, but. The end of Game of Thrones is interesting in terms of... Oh, like <laughs> he's going to go into it anyways. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to this week's holiday party edition of Floor 9. I am your host, Scott Elderson, and with me today, as always, Christina Andronley... Hi, guys. Adam Simon. Hello. We have Richard Yao coming to the front of the stage. Is that all? Is that all you're going to say to introduce me? Y- yeah. <laughs> it, it, well, introduce yourself. Here I am. <laughs> here you Perfect are. Perfect introduction. <laughs> usually behind the scene, taking notes, doing the editing stuff, but it's the holiday season, so why not? Why not? I'll probably stay quiet, though. Let the co-host do the talking. But if this is something I willingly disagree with, I would definitely chime in. So that's perfect. That's, yeah, we're happy to have you, Richard. Um, so 2019, a lot happened this year, uh, and I guess my very first question to the group, as we've now weathered 2019, is <laughs> I guess what were some of the biggest surprises from you know our outlook that we had this year and all the trends that we predicted? Um, what were some things that I guess were kind of uh, Surprising from like a media perspective, a culture perspective, a meme perspective. For me, that was Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda. No one saw Baby Yoda coming. <laughs> this would have been a good question to ask us to prepare in advance. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I mean, I'm struggling over what happened. In, what, what, how, the last year was uh, very long. Uh, as, as we were discussing yesterday, the Fire Festival documentaries came out in January. So wow. that, that's your your uh, bracket is from Fire Festival docs forward. Is, wow. Uh, it was 2019. That's a lot of culture happening in 2019. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll go. All right, Richard, coming in first. It's not exactly the biggest surprise per se, but I am still shocked how popular TikTok actually managed to break out in the Western market. We saw early signs at the end of the year, already at the beginning of the year, but we really don't see how over the course of summer and then fall, it really seemed to have taken off as the only like new social platform that actually broke out. Won't you guys agree? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think you know, one of the lingering questions in my mind about TikTok is it seems like a lot of that growth was um, through, uh, you know, paid ads, um, paid recruitment ads. Uh, so I'm curious if that's going to keep up and if people, uh, you know, especially young people will stick to TikTok or if uh, they might wander away if something new pops up next year. I mean, Facebook also like they, they tried with their lasso, you know. Uh, they always try. They, like, oh, I heard of that. <laughs> and it's interesting to see, like, I guess, what is their hit rate going to be going forward, right? Like, can they... I guess re, like buy another Instagram or remake something like that because I'm I'm curious to see like what their you know skill set is to actually recreate that magic. I don't think they're going to be allowed to 
uh, in other Instagram. I don't think like if TikTok obviously is, you know, um, from ByteDance and they're, they're pretty big already, but I, even if they were for sale, I don't think they would, that the U S government would allow Facebook to buy them at this point. Um, I, that's why they've got that group inside of Facebook that is prototyping thing or making things right. like Lasso and, uh, uh, whatever the, the close friends spinoff app was, um, to try to make those things. But I honestly, I, I just think that, that no consumer is sitting there saying, I want another social product from Facebook right now. Uh, and I think that that is going to be an uphill, like it, it, people are still using Facebook and Instagram, uh, and WhatsApp because well, WhatsApp is a little different. It's more of sort of a, a need to use it kind of thing. Right. Facebook and Instagram, people are still using it, using them a lot. Um, but that's more cause they're kind of addicted to them. <laughs> and, right. Uh, I don't, uh, I think that, you know, it's, it's the difference between starting something and, and continuing to use something is pretty big in, in the social space. I think that points to a broader trend that I didn't particularly see coming. I don't know who could have, but the, um, the trade, all of the speculation around trade between U S and China and, yep. um, kind of like the forward looking implications that that placed on a lot of our tech companies and just companies broadly, um, I don't think anyone really saw that coming to the extent that they did. I know that it's getting <laughs> allegedly getting resolved. Um, but right. I think that's had pretty broad implications on things. And I think for what it means, and I think Richard can speak to this probably even better than I can, but, um, the fact that Chinese companies now are, there's kind of like a nationalist positioning happening and a doubling down on what makes each of those companies uniquely Chinese as opposed to trying to emulate Western, I think is um, something that, a change that I've seen this year. Yeah, we definitely didn't see the specific part of Chinese company using the economic to like export their values. That is a very unique phenomenon that happened this year toward the second half. We did see the broad stroke coming because, like, one of our biggest auto chains, Tech Clash, and how the political is going to influence tech development. So the framework is there, I would say. Yeah, I just, I, I think personally, I was expecting it to be a little more. Um, clear cut by the end of the year that we would have more clear answers on on um, what the sort of ongoing relationship between the U.S. and China will be, and it seems like that's still going to be um, pretty murky uh, going into 2020. And honestly, at this point, I expect it to be murky until uh, after the next uh, election and in, in next fall. Just circle back on Facebook for a minute, since we're still on topic of social media. Did anybody see the whole Libra thing coming? No, yeah. I saw the need for a digital-based global cryptocurrency that unites payments across borders. I did not see Facebook <laughs> being the arbiter of that. Um, because they were not supposed to. I Well, I think there's step one is who has the jurisdiction to be the supplier of a global digital currency. Is it a private company or is it some sort of international governing body? That's like step one. Step two is after the year that Facebook has had um, it was an interesting leap to have them assume the burden and responsibility of taking on something that massive, given kind of where they stand in consumer sentiment. Yep. Yeah. If you thought like 
the portal product didn't work. I don't know what would make <laughs> you think a blockchain-based global currency would be uh, more smoothed over. Yeah, there's a, it's it's a little head scratching in terms of what Mark Zuckerberg is thinking. There is definitely something to be said for investing through a downturn, and I can see at least with Portal, you can kind of see that okay. Even if no one's buying these now, if if they assume that Facebook's reputation is going to recover in the future, um, you know it doesn't hurt to produce some, get some more experience producing hardware, um, which obviously is not uh, the most straightforward thing on earth. Um, producing mm-hmm. and selling and supporting and all of that stuff that you know we've watched um, Google get better at over the years, over the past five years, um, and Facebook needs to you know go through some of those those growing pains as well if that's what they want to do, but. Libra is a little different (laughs) because it it really sort of just beggars the question of like, uh, you know, how did you think you were going to get away with this? (laughs) Right. And, uh, you know, I think we're leaving 2019 basically where we started 2019 worth, you know, no one knew what Libra was and it didn't matter. And I think that's true at the end of the year as well as that most consumers still don't have, will not have heard about it. And, uh, I think it's, pretty unlikely that it's going to launch in uh, a form that will have anywhere near as big an impact as Facebook wanted it to. But then, so then what about like blockchain in general, right? Like it seems like in 2019, aside from Libra, there wasn't that many big conversations. And so are we, do you think that we're kind of going back down into this, you know, trough to disillusionment with blockchain for the next foreseeable, how many ever years? I actually think that if fashion saw some pickup in blockchain a bit, um, we've talked about it in articles that we've published on the future of fashion and around how digital clothing could be the answer to kind of the tension between the subscription model and um, hyper-personalization of clothing. Um, Blockchain is a great way to ensure that what you're buying is authentic and um, whether that's a digital product or a physical product that's hyper luxury. Um, so we've seen kind of good use cases in that space. I think the same in food in the food industry of tracking where inputs are, um, kind of for sustainability, but also for things like tracking the E. coli outbreak that happened in Salinas, you can track, lettuce back to the source using blockchain technology. So I think it's kind of, I I saw this year blockchain breaking out of its close tie to cryptocurrency and actually being an underlying technology for other forms of authentication or verification across categories. I definitely think that's true, but I also think blockchain is, um, has a little bit of a reputation problem right now. The same thing as artificial intelligence and machine learning. It's right now it's being added to a lot of things that it doesn't need to be added to just to generate, you know, press interest, investor interest. Um, it's somebody was, uh, joking recently that it's the it's the step two in the underwear gnomes plan between uh, steel underwear and profit right now. Blockchain <laughs> is one of those is one is the thing that people are are inserting there as step two uh, right now uh, to justify their their ideas. It's quite the analogy. <laughs> <laughs> like that'll be something that will just continue to track and you know I think it, it just comes down to you know can they improve the like the transaction speed, especially when it comes to our world of media and advertising and marketing. Like 
I know there's been a, like conversations about, you know, can this be a, re- a replacement for double click or, you know, how ads are served and kind of have more transparency around that. And uh, until they're able to process the volume at the speeds at which Google can do it, um, I think it has some serious, you know, uphill challenges uh, before, you know, wider adoption here in the media industry specifically. Um, so how do you guys see some of these trends that we talked about in 2019, you know, develop and grow into 2020? Maybe starting with like every brand is a lifestyle brand, brand trust. Uh, I think going into an election year, this is going to be a year where we're going to see a lot of uh, brands, you know, kind of have to take a, a stance. I think lifestyle is almost becoming a diluted word at this point. I think a lot of companies are leading with lifestyle mm-hmm. and lifestyle positioning. I think that's easy when capital is cheap and you can reinvest back into creating lifestyle. I think the minute that capital ties up, um, you're going to need to start showing return for and lifetime value of customers. And I think that the idea of lifestyle is certainly one that, I mean, we talk about this all the time and I think this still holds true that consumers in this era of a trust crisis are narrowing down their brand basket and going with the ones they trust. And they look for brands for, a number of different things, curation, community, things like that. I think, and I think the recent news from away that showed, you know, that the, I think the main takeaway from that is that the internal has to match the external. And I think Mm -hmm. that the correction, like lifestyle 2.0 in 2020 and beyond will be, how do you reflect the values that you're talking about internally so that there's a through line? Because I think consumers have, more access to information and can check brands more easily than ever. And um, I think lifestyle, you'll have to walk the walk if you're talking the talk. Right. I agree. It's, I was actually pretty surprised because I feel like a lot of the times where you as a brand get that lifestyle and kind of culture out is from like your internal culture. In my head, I I always felt like, you know, like it would have to match one-to-one in order for, you to kind of bring that culture and that lifestyle out to the consumers. But, um, you know, to your point with away and kind of how we saw it all come together in that Verge article that it doesn't necessarily have to be that. I don't know what your thoughts. <laughs> I, I feel like you have something stirring up there. No, I mean, it's, um, I think it's definitely going to continue to deepen and I think probably come to sectors and areas that haven't been as affected by this trend in the future. I think we're going to start to see, um, see it come to, uh, you know, like mass market retailers, um, right. and some, some older brands that have been around for a long time that maybe it wasn't, uh, you know, as, as thoroughly thought through the, the values and, and purpose side of things. Um, but I think that a lot of the, a lot of uh, brands that haven't gone through that journey and figured out what they actually stand for are going to be forced to do that or, or be disrupted by uh, younger, newer incumbent, newer, uh, startups. We still have clients that come to us and are unsure about the value of values, the investment that you need to make in aligning with purpose and values sometimes is at odds with short-term returns. I think we've seen enough research at this point that in the longer term, and especially with younger consumers, that that's super important, has impact on bottom line, has impact on company culture and how that reflects externally. I think there's no question that purpose and values are important. I think you have to live them and do it consistently after the thing that you're talking about isn't the thing or the issue of the day anymore. And it has to be kind of the through line across your entire operations. And I think 
Well, we were talking about a way I want to circle back to that really quickly that um, I expect to see half the brands that are in the direct to consumer category now to drop off the map. Yeah. So that's so this Christina, I had a question just for you just I about that. Wait. Uh, the branding and D to C it's like, are we at a bubble and is it about to explode? There is such a bubble. Uh, there was so much venture capital pumped into direct to consumer brands and the so what they did was they definitely raised prices compared to incumbent similar substitutable brands. Um, they took that money and reinvested into customer acquisition. Customer acquisition costs are skyrocketing right now. Um, and there's no profit there. And I right. think when money dries up and there's no more capital to drive acquisition, if you're not able as a brand to switch to lifetime value, um, you're done. And I think what I've read is that the VC companies that have invested in these direct-to-consumer brands aren't quite seeing the returns they would have expected. Right. Um, because I think the valuations that you see are at multiples that compare to tech brands, and I think very few embody tech brand principles. I think at the end of the day, yes, supply chain costs are down, but it's not a there's no zero marginal cost business in a toothbrush. Right. Um, even though you might think there is. Um, so I think the brands that a have sustainable customer bases that aren't based on Facebook advertising or any other platform for growth, um, that are making money that are actually sustainable businesses are the ones that will stick around things like expanding into insurance or services or whatever it is. But if you're a mono brand e-commerce only, um, there's a there's a reckoning there's go, some, some, or there's some some challenge headwinds ahead. I think there's headwinds ahead, and I really think like direct to consumer isn't a thing. I think they're brands at the end of the day, right? right. They're modern yep. brands, and I think incumbent brands like Nike, for example, are it's they're crossing over into each other's territory. I don't, and I don't think consumers think about it in right. silos either. Right. And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I, exactly what Christina said. I think we're, there's a bubble that is going to pop and we're going to see a lot of these, <clears throat> a lot of these uh, internet native D2C brands um, start to shut down if they are not already well established with sales channels offline and, uh, you know, a really good close customer relationships. I think that'll be in, an interesting dynamic to see if as some of the, you know, smaller ones or increasingly larger ones start to fail. Um, if they will be acquired either by other D2C brands to like start to make a uh, conglomerate, make a conglomerate, make the, you know, J and J and P and G of, uh, of the 21st century, or if they'll be rolled up by the, uh, the existing, the, you know, our traditional brands, mm -hmm. um, and, and used to tr update their, uh, relationship with consumers. I think the latter would obviously be a good idea, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll see time to go shopping. Tis the season. <laughs> but I think, I, I think their lasting impact has been a positive one. I think well, for sure. oh, absolutely. a lot of incumbent brands have been resting on their brand, yep. um, and haven't innovated in quite some time. And I think finally we're seeing innovation within CPG, within food and beverage, within mattresses, within shoes, everything. I think it's, it's, a rising tide raises all ships. Yeah. And I think we're getting a correction down to the brands that mean something in consumers lives in a big way. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's all, it's, I think if you look at it from a perspective, you know, it's like, like D to C in general, I was like, was it 
net positive or you know net negative on just how we as consumers and the world in general i think it was a net positive i think it's done a lot for you know consumers and different environmental causes and net positive for sure and i also think if you work in an industry that there's a high level of profit that's unexploited for the last 20 years you better start thinking about how to get ahead of the curve because you will get disrupted healthcare transportation um, every major tech platform is investing in those high margin regulated industries and they will pick off profit. So absolutely get to it. Uh, Game of Thrones was a big cultural moment for us this year. You know, it, it was one of the last potentially last uh, co-viewing experience, not co-viewing experiences. Uh, monoculture. Monoculture. Thank you, Richard. Uh, one of potentially like the last big television series that we've seen where everybody watches at the same time. Do we think going forward now that we have, I call them, you know, the top shelf five, uh, Disney plus Hulu, Netflix, Amazon video, Apple TV plus, and the list goes on and on Peacock coming out. Like, are we ever going to see a time where we as a, you know, community culture are watching one show and all talking about it? Are we, have we finally, that was the last, that was the end of it. That was the last show ever. I think that's going to be increasingly rare. I th- I don't know that we're going to get up to that level <clears throat> with scripted entertainment. I think it obviously still happens with sports. Um, I think it will happen. We'll see it in 2020, both with the Olympics and also with the election. There will be lots of uh, sort of demanded live attention on those things uh, right. next year. But for scripted entertainment, it's all moving to streaming and on demand. Um, I do think the interesting thing is that most of the, a lot of the new um, services are taking the, the tack of uh, releasing things week by week, which actually does. I dislike that. It. I know you dislike it. I dislike um, that. <laughs> but it actually does encourage more conversation around them. I do think I, I'm going to go on record and say that if the Mandalorian was all dropped in on one weekend, we would probably not be talking about Baby Yoda as much as we are right now. Um, mm, I, I do think true. that, um, and I think that, you know, we're seeing sort of the same thing, I think with Apple TV plus also, um, Chad and I talk about how, uh, Friday night watching for all mankind in the morning show, you know, like yep. it's, uh, you, it does get you into that cadence because you know, when, when you binge it, you generate a ton of conversation, um, that first weekend or the, the first week or so. Uh, but after that, it, it definitely trails off pretty quickly. We were talking about, you know, stranger things three for a, a week or so. Uh, and then we're not going to think about it again until I would say next I, I forgot that, already, that that even came out this year. See, there you go. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so, uh, I, and I think, you know, Netflix obviously is going to continue to drop whole seasons at once. Um, they say they know actually that it would generate more conversation if they didn't do that, but they know also know that consumers like binging. Um, mm-hmm. so they're really in the, and, and they have enough content that it doesn't, matter. There's always new Netflix shows premiering like every single day, I think, uh, at this point. So uh, there's always new new potential content for you. I, I think, you know, strategically, this is partially about not having as much content um, or, or yep. much original content. Yeah. But I do think that it, it has the side effect of encouraging more conversation around these shows. Richard, when does the Mandalorian new episode drop? It Friday. drops, yeah, every Friday morning at like 3 a.m. So here's my question. Why are those Party streaming show drop new episode on Friday. When like traditional TV like Friday night is like the death slot. I, is my, that to like trying to counter program or is like just people tend to stream more on a weekend? Like what's the strategy? I think it's that? the thought I think the thought is that you 
we'll get to it sometime over the weekend if they drop an episode on Friday. They might. I don't think I would love to see the numbers as to Friday versus like Saturday uh, or Sunday viewership of those things. But my guess is they don't care much if you watch it. I mean, it right. literally doesn't matter to them at all <laughs> if you watch it Friday or um, you know over the weekend. But uh, it gives it gives people a chance to catch up and you know um, bef- before the conversation shifts uh, back. You know, on Monday morning you can talk about you can catch up on the shows you need to and talk about them on Monday morning at work. Right. It definitely feels like it's capturing that Monday morning water cooler sort of moment. Yeah. It's always been interesting to think because, like, that's like, like the Mando, like Mando drops on Fridays. The Apple, it's just like it's always been kind of a weird day because it seems like uh, like the shows that were dropped on Friday on broadcast were the ones that they were like half and half about, like they were testing. It was like a test period. Where now it's like flagship TV shows are dropping on Friday, which is really interesting. Yeah, I'm curious to see what um, HBO does with HBO Max. Um, if <clears throat> excuse me, when they start debuting, like you know, top tier originals on HBO max because HBO mm-hmm. traditionally has, has put their best shows in that Sunday, 9 PM time slot. Uh, I'm curious, you know, what, how they'll distribute when they'll distribute. I'm also curious as to what Apple's going to do when they have more content. Are they always just going to update everything on Fridays? <laughs> because so far that's the trend, but, uh, I mean, I guess why not? Right. <laughs> it, so like five years from now, there will be like a hundred new episodes on Apple TV plus on a Friday. That could be interesting. I don't who, know. Who knows? I, I don't know. It's, 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 uh, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. Yeah, that is interesting. Well, more to come in 2020, I guess. Um, so out of, so out of this year, we can kind of just go around the horn here. Um, what, what was something that this really, like each of you is like, like stood out was like, this like just a, this was kind of like a defining moment of, of 2019. There is a rapper called Takashi six, nine. Yep. He has rainbow hair. Yep. He is from Brooklyn. He, basically used social media to gain all of his popularity, got involved with a gang, but was totally built on social media. Um, His offline behavior kind of didn't match his online behavior. And basically he went through this whole trial where he ended up turning on all of the people that he um, was in business with that were in this gang. And I think for me, that was such a moment because I think it is such a marker of how media consumption has shifted. I think it speaks to the power of social media and democratized influence to raise these people up that really have no true talent outside of antics and um, creating moments in media. Mm-hmm. I think that's one thing. I think the second thing is how quickly people can rise and fall now it's pretty remarkable how um someone can be the hottest artist in the game and instantly be in prison because of something they did that was related to social media i think that like i guess you could call it a hype cycle is shorter and higher um and i also think just people will do anything to get fame and i think they have channels to do so so for me that was such a moment this year because it was so um, indicative of the time and indicative of how we consume media and how we relate to as fans to celebrities. And I think um, I hope that, you know, we return to a place where true artistry and true creativity prevail over antics and follows and crazy headlines. Um, yeah. But I think it was such a marker of the time. 
it, it's in a sense that it's it's very like ephemeral, just like our like right. our like our messages and our kind of our content. It's in a sense being mirrored, yeah. you know, with real people in their likes, lives. In a sense, likes and streams yep. matter so much now that people will chase that. And if you break it down, I don't know what the value is there, right? I don't yeah. know. And it, it speaks to kind of where as a society we derive value, which um, I think is evolving right mm-hmm. now. Yep. Adam, what, what, what about yourself? <clears throat> I just had to Google to check the date because <laughs> time is a flat circle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, Disney closing the acquisition of Fox actually happened this year. That's what I was like. I feel like we've been talking about it forever, but uh, it actually closed in March. Um, so after those fire festival documentaries came out, uh, but, but, uh, it, it's just, a you know, incredibly bold move that is going to be, have repercussions for the next, you know, 20 years on our media landscape easily. Um, and, uh, I think it's, it's transformational obviously for Disney, but also just for the entire landscape. Um, having one company that own has, you know, more than 40% of the, the box office. Um, but more importantly than that, so much, um, attention controls so much consumer attention. And I think the fact that they did that and launched Disney plus this year is like a huge, it's a huge pivot for, um, you know, a company that's been around for a really long time. Uh, and, uh, I think, you know, Bob Iger is obviously a a very talented CEO and has managed to steer a very large ship, um, into a new direction, uh, very quickly to respond to the changing media ecosystem. And I think, um, you know, it's some people obviously are a little negative on the, on the, that amount of consolidation. I think regardless of how you feel about that, you have to admire uh, how well it is yeah. being executed um, and, and the strategy behind it. The, you know, the, the idea that something like that is even possible um, and that something that transformational. Um, and I uh, hope that we see more companies making really bold moves to secure their position in the future. I think it points to a broader trend across categories too, that just because you've been in business for a long time, doesn't mean you're, um, that's not an inherent disadvantage. Right, 100%. And, and just because you've operated in one uh, capacity for, for decades or even maybe uh, close to a century at this point doesn't mean that that's how you have to operate going forward. Right. And I think it requires big, bold moves that aren't you know bogged down in bureaucracy and making it perfect before you get it out. I think Disney did a great job of saying this is what we're doing yep. and putting everything behind it. I think that's um, a major lesson for a lot of the brands that we work with. Yeah, I think that mm-hmm. commitment is also important because Disney Plus would not have worked if they didn't get the entire company lined up behind it, mm-hmm. right? It You have to commit your your time, your resources. He, you know, Bob Iger had to sell it to shareholders that they were going to lose a lot of money for years uh, in order to make this happen, but that it was the right thing to do for the future of the company. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I hope we see more bold leadership um, in the next uh, few years because I think a lot of companies need it, frankly. Bold, but not Adam Newman bold. <laughs> yeah. right. I don't know if that was bold or just crazy. <laughs> bold, bold with uh, calculated restraint. I mean, that's the thing is the the concept of, uh, yeah, the, the concept of what WeWork was was going for. Um, it's a good you know, business in the sense well, that, it, a, well, a, a good idea. Like so, the, the idea that the, we're going to roll up all like literally all of the uh, commercial office real estate in the world that is a good, bold goal. Some of the ways that they were attempting to get there, obviously, didn't make any sense. Right. I think they. I think that's a lesson in being distracted from your core focus. 
I think it could be. I think part of WeWork was a lack of focus. And interesting. Other governance issues and I agree. I mean, if they they to your point, they uh, did wander away from just offices into gyms and apartments, and it's just like you don't have to. Yep. You don't have to be all of real estate, the entire real estate right. industry, uh, to make it work. And you get to steal my defining moment of 2019, which is the the sell IPO of WeWork. For me, that really <laughs> defined this whole decade. In a way, it's like unbridled growth of different companies trying to masquerade as tech company and then tech getting, romanticism. Yeah, getting busted on it, yeah. and the whole unfulfilled potential of the sharing economy, the idea that we can really become a community and grow a whole economical scale out of it, and didn't really happen. Yeah. It's interesting. The the whole, to this point, like the whole tech romanticism, um, you know, I think there needs to be a bit more transparency behind it. I feel like people only know the the end story of the IPO or the acquisition, but not not how they got there. And, um, you know, I think when I, when I look at 2019, I have I've got a few, but I think the one, you know, pillar of it kind of it, it's Elon Musk in 2019. He I guess he's he's a complex character. Um, some of it is crazy and wacky, but the um, just I think when we when we talk about bold leaders in a sense, like he has a vision for the future that I can get behind. You know, it seems like he's really he's just, he's building rockets to space. He's building like, you know, his concept of what, you know, like autonomy and the future of the vehicle and the car can be and how that can ship and change, you know, how we're spending our time. Um, you know, I think it's, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's very impressive. I agree that I'm, I'm, I'm on board with a lot of his vision, but I would like to see a little more delivery and a little less totally talk agree. from Elon in the 2020s. I will 100% change my tune when he fulfills his promise to turn on autonomous driving for all Tesla's currently shipping. When that happens, I think I can start believing more of, of everything that everything comes out of his <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think he's right about space in general. And I think that his ideas are well thought out and will inform what everybody else is doing as well. So, you know, that's that's valuable in and of itself. But. Yeah. Do you think Tesla has a reputational problem or is it just Elon Musk as a public figure? I think it's tied to Elon Musk because I yeah. think that Tesla would not be pre-announcing so many products if it weren't right. for Elon I actually think Tesla has a great consumer reputation. Yeah. Um, I think it's, uh, to Adam's point, I think it's a kind of fair failure to launch a bit. Yeah. Where the vision is great. I That would be an amazing future of transportation. But yep. um, I would like to see, he's on the clock to execute. Yeah, 100%. Well, well said, 2020. Here we come. Um well, with that, is there anything else that you guys would like to talk about? Well, we shared the favorite meme of the year. Oh, favorite meme of the year. <laughs> Man. Already favorite meme of the decade. Favorite meme of the, I can't. I can't do decade. I can probably do the past week. What's your favorite meme of the year? My favorite meme of the year. Oh, man. It's, I think, it, so there, there's, there's a tie between all the Game of Thrones memes that came out with that terrible ending and the most wholesome meme I've ever seen in my entire life of eight-year-old me looking up at my dad when he's on a conference call waiting for me to get off Baby Yoda. It has been, <laughs> that has been my life for the past four or five weeks. It's just those, it's like that content's been unbelievable. 
I think my favorite meme is the two real housewives screaming <laughs> with the cat. With the cat. <laughs> really same scared. Here. Exactly same here. It's so universally applicable. <laughs> and it's funny. Variety, every time. You can get out of it. <laughs> Adam, how about yourself? What's been your meme of the decade? Oh, man. I don't know. The decade's a long time. It is a long time. Well, how about the last five days? 2010? <laughs> 2010 we was a long time ago. I was graduating high school. I don't even think I had a phone. <laughs> Wait, Maybe I, I, I had any phone. It's the one of Marie Kondo saying, I, I, I just love mess. What's the focal? It's like, I'm so happy because I love mess. Oh my God. That's been fantastic. You still thinking, Adam? I, I, Baby Yoda drinking bone broth. Oh, man, that's a good one. <laughs> or Amy Sedaris holding Baby Yoda and people being who had not seen that episode of The Mandalorian yet being generally confused, thinking that some that it was a meme of something else, of somebody else holding Baby Yoda that they had photoshopped Amy Sedaris into, but it was actually Amy Sedaris. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing, though. If you're not like up to speed, you're not sure what is meme, what is actually like remixed meme. True. Something we need to explore in 2020, the whole remix culture. All right. Well, with that, uh, we will leave 2019 uh, here and we will look forward to 2020. You know, in 2020, you can look forward to a brand new Outlook from the IPG Media Lab. So if you're interested in getting an Outlook presentation, please send us a note, shoot us a tweet, whatever you can do. Uh, We'll have a brand new innovation annual for all of our clients coming out. Uh, And we're excited to take on the new year at CES. So if you're there, please let us know. Uh, And we'll be coming live from you again from Floor 9 out in Vegas in 2020. So thank you and talk soon. Bye. Come on, I'm going to say bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) See you in 2020. (laughs) 